welcome to another episode of Found, a conversation at the intersection of Christian faith and culture, where we always aim to find Jesus in the way we react and respond to our world. Found is part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. My name is Linda Tokar, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Brandon Bathauer. Now, in this episode, we are talking about freedom. We always skip over the first part. You are free to eat of any tree. Think about the variety of trees that God placed in this heavenly earth place of of Eden. But what do our minds go to? The one one thing thing. we can't have. Pick up a newspaper or scroll your socials and you're going to see that there is sharp disagreement and heated debates around what freedoms we should have and the ethics around how to use these freedoms. That for Jesus, freedom is our ability to live and to love, to help us live as members of new creation. It's to experience all the fullness that God intended and designed us for. It is to live fully into the image of God that is stamped on us. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Linda. How's it going? It is good. How are you today? I'm doing great. We just, uh, I got into roasting. You know, coffee roasting during, okay. during uh, COVID and all the different hobbies. And yes. I roasted a really interesting uh, bean from Peru. And so I'm enjoying that right now. It's really, that really is, good. That is wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes, I remember seeing that on social media. <laughs> you and your roasting thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> COVID gave us a lot of time to think. Oh, it did. <laughs> it did. And uh, hopefully we did that well. Yeah. Hopefully you did that well, if you're listening. So we did our last episode on The World is Broken, and it seemed like people had lots to say about that. Well, I'll tell you, the world got more broken. Like right after we released, (laughs) just so many things just started to hit um, the news cycle again. I mean, it should be normal now, right, that there's going to be some tragedy, some major challenge that we're facing on almost the monthly or like a bi-weekly basis. Daily. But it was, I hope you experienced what I experienced is after the episode, mm-hmm. um, I saw all the same responses that we talked about, you know, yeah. after uh, the school shootings, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, there were the responses of just like, well, we can make this right. We can just fix this, you right. know, just we, we, we can fix it. Um, and then there were the responses of like, yeah, this is just what the world is like. It's a big old mess and right. it's all a disaster and we just need to flee from it. And uh, I felt both in my own heart. Sure. And uh, it was interesting saying, okay, again, how do we walk this in the way of Jesus? Um, Wow. And it's not that there's ever easy answers, but it's worth the effort to Mm -hmm. go back to what he says and say, okay, how do I bring this to this situation? Yeah, that's right. It's work. It is. It is work. (laughs) Hopefully it's joyful work. But it, it, sometimes it's hard. And there is something interesting, right? When you're walking on kind of this middle road or this this narrow road mm-hmm. and you know like okay I can I can kind of see the world as it actually is right now and I can see these camps and these responses that are showing up that man maybe I don't need to just fall into one of those camps right maybe if I identify first and foremost with Jesus mm-hmm. um, man maybe I can offer something to this conversation right yeah. like something transformative yeah 
Yeah, not just make it louder. <laughs> so <laughs> just by way of reminder, uh, Brandon and I are on the spiritual growth team here at Saddleback Lake Forest. And this is, like we said, part of the family of podcasts put out by Saddleback Church. We have Doable Discipleship, which happy birthday, just to celebrate its fifth birthday. That's amazing. I know. Five years. That is a lot of discipleship. <laughs> yeah, and weekly. This is a yeah. weekly podcast, yeah. Doable Discipleship. Yeah. So much work. And then there's The Well, and then our worship team now has lead with worship and there are more coming. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting to, to be a part of this work. So let's get into our topic today. I think this is going to be a great discussion. We are talking about freedom. So, and especially here in America, this is something we take very, very seriously. This episode is coming out just a few weeks after Memorial Day, which is a day, an entire day set aside to honor those who gave their lives to secure and protect our freedom. But no matter who you talk to, this topic stirs lots of emotion, deep questions, thoughts, and concerns. Nobody just is neutral on freedom. Mm. They, or they, nobody sees this as a non-issue. This is the issue for lots of people. It's the issue every day, all day. Um, so what we're going to get into today is why does this matter so deeply to us and how should we engage and live with freedom? Now, in the West, we live in probably one of the freest societies in all of history, if we're talking about freedom as the license and liberty to do what it is we want to do, we have the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We can go where we want. We can think and believe whatever we want. We are free to worship or not. We're free to agree with the governing authorities or we're free to completely disagree with them and say that without fear of reprisals. In many ways, there are far fewer restrictions or limits on socially or culturally acceptable behavior than there were even 10 to 15 years ago. So things are changing. We are more free now than we ever, ever have been. But while we experience a freedom that's almost unheard of in all of history, our Western culture is literally convulsing sometimes. It's very turbulent times as we wrestle with freedom. Pick up a newspaper or scroll your socials and you're going to see that there is sharp disagreement and heated debates around what freedoms we should have and the ethics around how to use these freedoms. So, for example, how free, how free should freedom of speech be? Should people be able to post and share just any information or opinion or misinformation that they want? Should fact checkers be able to take down and quiet what they deem to be false or harmful speech? What about this? How much freedom should a person have over their own body? I mean, with respect to the growing fentanyl and opioid crisis, should drugs be regulated? And if so, if so which ones and why? Or there's the, the very current discussion around the issue of abortion. Then in other news, there's the discussion around the Second Amendment and how that plays out. Then there are all the questions of freedom that we all experienced during the COVID crisis. I mean, at the height of it, were you in the mask camp or the no mask camp? Or I'm going to wear a mask, but don't make my kid wear a mask. I mean, it was, it was absolutely nuts. And then there are questions that we where there are things that we actually have say over things. It's not a matter of legal or illegal, but how should I personally engage with the freedoms that I currently have? See, all of these questions, these wrestlings represent a convergence of ideas around what freedom is and what we should do with it. And in all of this noise, amidst all these questions, I just imagine Jesus standing in a busy crowd and saying gently to us, who the sun sets free is free indeed. So now the focus of this episode, lest you be concerned, is not on what the legislative decisions should be made. 
We're going to leave that to the politicians. Instead, we're going to talk about how we should view the freedoms that we do have and what should we do with it. We're going to explore the great observation made in Jurassic Park, right? We became so consumed with what we could do, we never stopped to ask if we should. We have the freedom to do so many things. Sometimes we don't stop and ask, is this a good thing? Is this a wise thing to be doing? We're going to dive into the prevailing ideas in culture, look at what churchianity has added to the conversation, and then look and listen to the person of Jesus and hopefully find a way forward, however narrow, in this confusing, divided, and dynamic time in our history. So that is where we're going. And Brandon, why don't you start us off with the exercise? All right. Wow. Yeah, this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is not some <laughs> small bit that we have uh, taken off to chew on. So no. hope you're with us. Um, excited for walking into the exercise again. The exercise is uh, to walk through and look at this concept from different points of view. We're going to pull out some different perspectives here. One thing that Ben, ben Franklin says, I call him Ben. Some people call him Benjamin, but we're friends, Ben Franklin. <laughs> Good old Ben. <laughs> he says, tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learn. So the whole idea of the exercise is let's all get involved in this process. And as we're talking about cultural streams or kind of religiosity, churchianity streams, um, hopefully you're identifying with it going, no, I've seen that. Yep. I've heard that argument. Um, man, yeah, I've experienced that. Join us on this journey as we walk yeah. through this, hopefully come out the other side, uh, carrying something a little bit different. So what is freedom and how should I use it? Mainstream culture, and again, there's so many different points of view in culture. We're basically saying, what is the pervasive reality? That if you're just watching, you know, general media and you're just taking in TV shows and movies and, you know, posts on TikTok, whatever, like what, what is the general kind of philosophy beneath much of this culture? Um, we're going to say that the definition of freedom here is um, freedom is my ability to do whatever I want. Yep. Uh, freedom equals, in this view, the most choices and the least limits. We want all the options on the table with the fewest restrictions. So imagine a huge, huge banquet table. What freedom would be in this point of view is like, I want every option of food on this table. I want all of it, and I want no restrictions. Freedom would be, at that point, like I would never get full. I could just keep eating all the food. <laughs> that is like the perfect picture of freedom. So contrasting that, lack of freedom or no freedom would be no choices, no options. Uh, the enemy of freedom would be limitation. And, uh, you know, we see this in like the totalitarian state of 1984, right? Where Big Brother is saying like, you can only do this, this, and this, right. and anything outside of that is unacceptable. I, I think of... Uh, the great philosopher Elsa of Arendelle. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Also known as Queen Elsa of Frozen. She says, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. And here it is. This is the definition of freedom, I think, in our mainstream culture. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And that resonates with people. People are like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, let's be honest, like, our whole generation of kids right now has sung this song about a jillion times. So it is like deep in their neural circuitry. Uh, no, okay. 
if that's what freedom is, it's no right, no wrong, I have no rules, that means I'm free. If that's what freedom is, then mainstream culture would say, okay, what should I do with this freedom? Now, again, there's so many different cultures within this, but what we're hoping to do in this section is imagine we're all swimming in a pool. What we want to do is kind of pull out some of the water that we're swimming in that we may not even notice and look at it under the microscope and say, okay, what, what are some of the philosophies, the viewpoints that make up this water we're all swimming in? Mm-hmm. And uh, as we do, we'll kind of bring out certain perspectives that you may not have heard of, you may have heard of, give you a little bit of the history behind it. So at least you can understand some of the foundations of the, the arguments and perspectives of our culture. Um, and so we're going to dig into hedonism, uh, which is kind of this viewpoint uh, that what we should do with freedom is we should just use it to get more pleasure and less pain. That the way that we should function in this world Um, The way to a happy life, the hedonistic viewpoint basically says, I win by getting more pleasure points, and then you subtract the pain points. So if I got like two pleasure points by eating that apple, I got minus two pain points because my tooth was hurting, okay, I equal at zero. So I, I need to have a few more pleasure points than pain points. And this viewpoint would say that pain and pleasure are the only things that really matter. That's all we can really know. Because because of that viewpoint, like there's nothing more that we can know. It usually comes with this philosophy that says like there's no larger supernatural reality. Um, there's no real objective morality. Just pleasure and pain is kind of what is left. Um, as John Mark Comer says in Live No Lies, happiness has become about feeling good, mm-hmm. not being good. Yeah. And um, that would be kind of the core of, of hedonism. And so... I'm going to give you a quick kind of history of hedonism. You've probably, you've probably heard this word hedonism, um, and you may think it just means like full license to do whatever you want. I want to kind of clarify that a little bit. So um, way back 600 BC, 600 years before Jesus, wow. um, there was uh, what's called the Karvaka, which is an Indian philosophical tradition based on the Varaspatya Sutras. This would be kind of the argument of, of this. Now, a lot of these sutras actually were uh, destroyed, partially because in a more religiosity environment, it's like, no, 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 we don't, we don't want this. But here's a quote that we, we've got that says, The world being a miserable whole, let us enjoy to the utmost what morsels of pleasure are left to us. Hmm. Right? So it's like, hey, man, life is hard. Do whatever you can to get as much pleasure as you can wow. out of it. Uh, get whatever pleasure you can, even if there are negative consequences for others. Uh, this argument would say there's no real afterlife. There's no reincarnation. There's no karma. Just get what you can on this side of cremation. And if it feels good, do it. Um, now, a little bit closer to the Mediterranean, the the Greeks were kind of digging into the same idea sure. a little after this. Uh, there's a guy named Aristippus and his followers, the Cyrenaics. And um, he was in like 400s BC. And he would argue that pleasure is the ultimate good. You know, chase after the immediate and the bodily pleasures first because they are more vivid and trustworthy. So like, hey, whatever you can feel the most right now, just go and do that. Mm-hmm. Very um, pragmatic. Very pragmatic. And obviously it's tied to bodily pleasures you know <laughs> sexuality drinking partying this is would be like the picture of just like 
what you think of as hedonism, sure. this would be Aristippus. And he would say, who cares about consequences? Like the only thing that is for sure is your experience right now. Well, the challenge is over some time, Aristippus and, and his followers started realizing like, man, like I woke up the next morning and my, <laughs> my pain points were uh, pretty extreme. And it was really pleasurable in that moment, but man, that did not working out. So then came good old Epicurus, mm -hmm. uh, which is where you've heard like Epicureanism. Mm-hmm. Usually an Epicurean viewpoint we usually think of as just like party hard, have a great time. Um, but Epicurus actually would say like more pleasure, less pain. That's the right philosophy. That's the calculus of life. But let's get deeper about what we think of as the word for pleasure and pain. Uh, take the long view. So for Epicurus and his followers, the goal was to stay away from the wine and the partying because they knew that there'd be more pain that, that would come down the road. So the goal still was to still maximize pleasure, but uh, pleasure was more in thought life or in fulfillment, uh, less about the bodily pleasure. So you can see how this philosophy started to kind of morph and, and shift here. Um, yeah, and I think even sometimes within Christianity or churchianity, as we've been talking about, sometimes what happens is we're looking for we're pursuing pleasure, but we're saying things that sound really faith-filled, like, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? Mm. I know the plans I have for you. Doesn't he want mm. me to be happy? Mm. And so we're pursuing our, we're still pursuing pleasure, but we're kind of slapping a label on it to say, well, no, this is what God wants for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I think um, sometimes our faith pursuits, um, we are living this. We're living an Epicurean viewpoint. We we want to feel that wonderful experience at church, and that's why yeah. we go. That's still just kind of increasing pleasure points. And then, you know, when life gets hard, we kind of get mad at God because right. he didn't comfort and, and lessen the pain. Right, right. So it's like if we go to, to church and have a, a really good experience, then it was awesome. And, and God is was, good. And yeah. God is good. And if things didn't go the way we expected or planned, then God must not love me. He must not see. Right. And it's the same root of trying to pursue, like pleasure is the value. Mm -hmm. Comfort is the value. So if mm -hmm. that's not happening, something is wrong. Yeah, and God, you're not doing what you're right. supposed to. Like Clearly, I thought we have a deal here. Yeah, I do what you ask and you yeah. do what I need. You increase my pleasure points right. and decrease my pain points. Exactly. And then you look at most people throughout um, our history, uh, Christian history and our greatest saints are oh, the people who suffered the most and yet found some deep fulfillment in that, but it wasn't through personal, just, I want more pleasure yeah. and less pain. Um, <laughs> interesting. So, all right. So that was like the Greek philosophers, you know, 300 years before Jesus. And then like, okay, it started to fade out because honestly it's a really hard philosophy to hold on to um you know you start talking about love love is not really possible in this viewpoint um you know people are just people that you can use so it was like how do we where does this go from here but what's interesting is you fast forward into the uh enlightenment movement this is now the 16 1700s industrial revolution and hedonism kind of comes back and it's kind of, it's charging forward in our culture right now, um, shifted into what's called hedonistic egoism, mm. um, where the best ethic, the arguments of, an, of a hedonistic 
egoist would be that the best ethic is to seek after yourself. Hmm. Um, Ayn Rand says, a man's ego is the fountainhead of human progress. Uh, Max Stirner, who's a German philosopher in the 1800s, by the way, if you just look up some quotes from this guy, I can appreciate somebody who's just like so clearly like, yeah, this is just who I am. I'm just going to be <laughs> honest about my viewpoints. He, he quotes, he says, liberate yourself as far as you can and you have done your part. Meaning like, just liberate yourself. That's your goal of life. Wow. For freedom is to break through all limits. Like that's, that's what freedom is, just break through all the limits. And then he presses it further and he says, if freedom is strived after for the love of myself after all, why not choose myself as the beginning, middle, and end? Like, hey, it's about <laughs> me, guys. This is what Max Turner says. It's all about me. It's me, and I'm going to make it about me. And you know, why don't just, I'm the beginning, the middle, and the end, because that's, that's kind of the whole focus. Now, I want to point out, like, what's interesting about this hedonistic egoism is it it really has infiltrated all parts of our society. This mm -hmm. isn't a left or right issue, right? If there's sexual freedom leading to debauchery on, on one side, and there's unchecked commercialism leading to greed and exploita exploitation on the other side, you know, like that, that is hedonistic egoism, right? It's mm -hmm. just, it's about me and I need to chase after myself. Now, again, the greatest fear in this viewpoint would be uh, 1984, a dystopia where all the choices and practices are limited by some grand government, a theocracy, right? These all limit whatever choices I have. Right. Um, so at the core of this viewpoint says, I want to do what I want to do. And don't take it away from me. In fact, if there's anything we can't do, that's exactly what we want to do most. Yep. Like yep. that is where we as a society need to push and prod to get that new breakthrough in freedom mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now there's some positives to this viewpoint there's a certain bit of to each their own right there doesn't need to be a general agreement about what brings um what brings you pleasure or pain it's kind of like well what whatever brings you pleasure and pain go for it it's kind of you, know? you do you yeah <laughs> you know it's not really controversial you're not forcing opinions on anyone else right. at least not on the surface and we'll get into some of the challenges of that yeah uh, another positive is in this definition of freedom, something really important to a nation where it's up to us, where choices are up to us. Freedom of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I think, is the bedrock of our nation. Mm -hmm. And there's something so beautiful that comes when we are not forced into decisions, Absolutely. but we can decide. I think so much good has come from that as a society. Um, and let's just name, like, more possibilities is a wonderful thing. Think about all that our freedom affords us. We should be thankful and appreciative for all the hard-won options that we actually have. Uh, it's wonderful that we are not limited by fears and kept within limits by the government, you right. know? Um, it's great that I can go, you know what? I don't like our governmental leaders, so I'm going to stand with a sign that says I don't like our governmental leaders. And, and that's okay. And that's great. I'm not going to get thrown in jail somewhere. Like, that freedom of, like, we're going to press against limits... Yeah, there's so much good that can happen in a society because of that. Yeah. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, in the hedonistic part of this, you know, I guess one positive you could say is that it doesn't take tomorrow for granted. Yeah. It actually, you know, wants to live in the moment. It appreciates the present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's some good stuff. That's some of the positives, I think, of this viewpoint. 
Um, I think there are also a lot of challenges. Yeah. Um, you know, first off, let's just be let's just be real about it. It's a deeply selfish perspective, right? This yeah. view of freedom is inherently self-focused. Like that's what it is as self-focused. Yeah, that's the um, point. <laughs> and there's lots of wisdom throughout humanity that points out that living a life for myself just ends up really, really sad. Yeah. I think the second bit of this, hedonism is not a dynamic, growing perspective. Pleasure is the fuel for the status quo. Yeah. You think about what comfort does. It just keeps you dumb and happy. Yeah. And if you're comfortable, you don't have to do any, I mean, why would you change that? You've right. achieved, I mean, if your highest goal is pleasure and comfort and you've achieved that, there's no reason to, you know, upset the apple cart, fix what ain't broken. It's like, I'm comfortable. That's I'm exactly good. Right. Yep. So, and you know, this is what Rome did uh, to keep their people happy. They would mm -hmm. take over a uh, new land and then they would do what? Breads and circuses. They'd mm -hmm. build these circuses and like little mini coliseums, entertain them, give them food, and they'll be happy. They won't rise sure, up. Sure. Sounds a little familiar. Um, okay, so then here's this other problem with, with hedonism is the problem of pain. Like pain is actually unavoidable. Sure. I'm sure we've all experienced this, but no matter how hard you try, you're, you're going to run into pain. And if pain is always just a minus point, uh, avoiding pain will actually bring out so much anxiety in your life and mm -hmm. fear and isolation. Mm -hmm. You will experience the pain of those things, anxiety and Right. isolation um you know the the downsides the dark sides of the um comfort as king philosophy that we have really embraced yeah and i think that some you know the current sort of epidemic of depression sometimes happens when you've done everything that you can think to do and you can't avoid the pain mm. like if the goal is pleasure and you can't seem to get there then you end up in despair because right. all you you can't avoid the pain and mm -hmm. because you feel like you should, but you can't. Right. That becomes this really crazy spiral. Right. Uh, yeah. I think the, the show, The Good Place, um, if you watch that at yeah. all, um, they kind of run into this problem. You get to this picture of heaven and it's a godless heaven. So it's right. not about God at all. It's about my own pleasure. And uh, you, they, sorry if this is a spoiler, but they get to heaven and it's like, you can do whatever you want. And people just become these like mindless zombies <laughs> because it's like, well, I have every option in the world and I can do whatever I want and I have no limits. And the end result of the show is that they choose pretty much non-existence. That's the greatest amount of existence they can have. It's a really yeah. sad picture of what yeah. results when you kind of have hedonism as the end goal. And by the way, you may be a Christian, you may be a Jesus follower and your view of he heaven is actually a hedonistic heaven. Mm -hmm. It's not about God. It's just about like, well, that's where I'm going to have perfect comfort that's where I'm going to have no pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, those things will be a part of it, but that cannot be the whole of it. Right. Um, okay. There also, let's just name, this philosophy has some problems. Just, uh, just logically, it has some problems. <laughs> um, it's actually impossible to achieve. Here's, here's one that's impossible to achieve, is that choices limit choices. Mm -hmm. So I cannot partake in all the options without experiencing the resulting life limitations. Galatians 6, 7 talks about we reap what we sow. Right. And, you know, think about it this way. If I choose to cut down a tree today, I can't sit in its shade tomorrow. I love that. It's, it's so helpful, right? Like, I want to do whatever I want. Well, 
your choices limit your choices. Right. And so um, if I want unlimited choices, that's actually impossible in our world, right? If I choose to get wasted today, like tomorrow is going to be a different type of wasted. If you're aware of tomorrow, it will be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, right? If I choose to express myself in an untethered sex life, it may mean limitations to my emotional and my lifestyle decisions, right? absolutely. And then the other problem, so just by myself in this world, my choices limit my choices. Also, one person's choices affects another's possibility to choose, right? So I can choose to drive 100 miles an hour down the road, but I limit somebody else's ability to continue living. Yeah. Right? So my choices limit other people's choices. So if everyone is just chasing after, I want all the choices in the world. Right. Um, it's actually going to limit everyone's choices. You know, here's what's interesting. And this is a part we're kind of running into, I think, as a society right now. We all want the freedom to do whatever I want. But there's been this new development, the impinging on my rights. So that in freedom of speech, there's now the demand to quiet voices that disagree with me. I don't want to see your viewpoints. I don't want to see how you practice your religion or your relationship or whatever. And so you shouldn't have the rights to do that because I want the freedom to not see that. Right. Ooh, this gets messy, doesn't it? Well, yeah. And I think that, you know, it used to be that we could disagree and you know you do you i do me but now there's this there's this almost insistence that if i'm doing something that disagrees with however you want to live or to be i'm that there's this insistence no i want you to not just let me do what i want to do but i want you to accept and affirm and agree and celebrate what i want to do and that makes it really complicated because it i mean it creates clashes mm-hmm. huge clashes mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. I mean, Oscar Wilde kind of nails it. He says, selfishness is not living as one wishes to live. It is asking others to live as one wishes to live. (laughs) (laughs) Which when you say it out loud, you go, okay, that's crazy. And yet that's what's happening. That's what we're doing. Yep. Yep. So, okay. In our demand for ultimate freedom, all the choices available to me as much as possible, this actually decreases the possibility of the same freedom for another person. Mm Mm-hmm. And their demand for all this freedom means less possibility of choice for you. So again, in this, in a world where there is scarcity, um, this viewpoint is actually impossible of just ultimate, I want every option on the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about COVID. I know that may bring up some, some emotions may already. Some think about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> think about it this way, right? During the height of COVID, if someone had COVID and cho- chose to go to a restaurant without a mask, Right. So I've got COVID. I know I have COVID. I'm going to go to a restaurant right now without a mask. My choices as somebody else who wants to go to the restaurant have now been limited. Right. So either I can go to the restaurant and get COVID or I can't go. I no longer have the option that I would like to go to a restaurant and not get COVID. But because of somebody else's decisions, my decisions are now limited. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Society actually will kind of will, will fall apart, right? If we all just chase after only ourselves and say, like, we have no limits on us, right? Again, the Elsa thing. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, John Adams, you know, one of the founders of America, uh, he wrote, our constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. Mm. It is wholly inadequate to gut 
to the government of any other. His argument here is our, our government cannot hold everyone to be moral and ethical. Mm-hmm. It works in a way where as long as everyone is seeking good of the other and somewhat aware of a morality that is beyond just ourselves doing whatever we want, um, that's how our government is structured. In fact, it's, it's crazy. In the Massachusetts charter that he wrote, um, he made it a a point to say, Hey, tax money should go to local pastors. Mm. Um, because it is so necessary for people to understand some broader objective morality uh, for this society to work. Now, I like that idea personally. No, it would be a total disaster. But (laughs) John Adams, I appreciate where your heart's at. Um, Look, summarizing the challenges here, we end up in this viewpoint, slaves of our desires. Mm -hmm. We are no more free than under extreme rules because we've now placed these extreme rules on ourselves of having to just satisfy our desires. You know, it's funny, we've mentioned 1984, this picture of this totalitarian regime, Um, but the contrasting dystopia is Brave New World where the entirety of your existence is about just chasing pleasure, decreasing pain. Mm -hmm. So you take that Soma, you try to keep yourself experiencing pleasure and you end up being enslaved Um, in the same way as you would be in 1984, just from a different perspective. So let's go to scripture. What does scripture have to say about all of this? So we've gotten this sense of this hedonistic egoism, this focus on the self. Freedom is just no limits, and I should just experience those however I want. Scripture has some really cool pictures to this, because first off, this is not a new viewpoint. This is something (laughs) deep in our human... um, like at the cell level, right there at the very beginning in Genesis 3, uh, what does God say? Check the, uh, Actually, in Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, what did your mind go to? I'll tell you what my mind goes to. The tree that I can't eat. Yeah. We always skip over the first part. You are, tree to, you are free to eat of any tree. Think about the variety of trees that God placed in this <laughs> heavenly earth place of, of Eden. And all that God could do in a perfect setting like Eden. Sure. Think about the goodness of all of those fruits. Uh, how tasty they all could be. Goodness sakes, man. But what do our minds go to? The one one thing thing. (laughs) we can't have. And in so many ways, this was God saying, look, this is the line. And uh, this is the one space you can't be in control. Yeah. And uh, that is what we want to chase after because that says, no, 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 I'm God. I'm the same. And that's so that's what Adam and Eve did, you know, and uh, Eve eats of the fruit and hands it to Adam. He eats of the fruit. And that's what they chase after. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul picks up on this and kind of speaks to this viewpoint. He says, now I say, even again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice the cross of Christ being this, uh, this way of dying to the self. And we'll get to that in the Jesus section. Here's what he says. He says, their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. 
and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. That picture of their God is their stomach. I think that that is the challenge of hedonism, Mm -hmm. that what you are chasing after, your core desires, your everything is focused on your stomach, your desires. Right. Um, and then what's interesting in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, it's such an amazing book. Um, you have, who, who's thought to be uh, Solomon, although it never says it straight up in Ecclesiastes, but basically the writer of Ecclesiastes goes through and tries out different viewpoints. Right. And so the writer tries out hedonism. Here's what, here's what the writer says. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. It's powerful. Yeah, that's a hard, hard challenge against this viewpoint, that yeah. when you look at all of the pleasure and pain points, what does it add up to? Meaningless. Right. It's a chasing after the wind. You're just running after something that you can never quite grab mm-hmm. and is mm-hmm. always fleeting. Mm-hmm. That pleasure, that greater pleasure is always just out of your hand's reach. You never walk away from a great experience like that saying, I am fully content. Yeah. You're always like, man, that was a good meal. What are we having What's for next? dessert? Yeah. You know? What's next? So in conclusion, I think this viewpoint, I think this freedom that we proclaim as a society that we promise is slavery. I think it's just as much enslaved mm-hmm. um, as having no options. Now, you may be extra influenced by this view if, if your primary decision driver is your desires. And you may say, no, I don't think that's me, but then think about it. Are your base desires what really are driving you at the core? If you're looking for a good time, is the realistic refrain of the search in your life, mm. you may be over-influenced by this view. Now, it's not to say that having a good time is bad, um, but when that is the core of your purpose for right. living, when it comes to work, you may either be a loaf, like I just, you know, whatever, I'm just getting my work done. Yeah. Um, or you're just a really unhealthy driver because you find pleasure in just getting this work done and moving your way up through the corporate ladder. Um, or, hey, about this, you may feel like a mind-numbed entertainment junkie and consumer. You know, if you're just like, man, I just binged 16 shows. <laughs> I spend all my time just watching TV, scrolling TikTok. Like, that, like, if you're just feeling like this mindless kind of entertainment junkie, you've probably been over-influenced by this view, mm-hmm. um, that your purpose for life has started been, been taken over by hedonism. Um. You know, last one is just, if you're honest, you may find yourself to be a user of others mm. for love. You know, you extract pleasure from people and then you distance from them when you're in pain. You know, you're quick to kind of exclude people from your life or your circle or your friends list if they don't serve your purposes or desires. You know, if you're like, well, I don't want to see what you're saying because I don't like it. So I'm just going to stop following you or mm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that viewpoint is a little bit like, well, you only matter to me as long as you agree with me. Yeah. And you bring me pleasure. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so there it is. 
our culture. That's what the best bit that our culture has got uh, to pitch is hedonism. Freedom is just whatever I want. So with that, let's jump into uh, churchianity. Absolutely. Really, churchianity turns out to be almost a response to the kind of freedom that we see in our culture, right? Because if freedom is this um, doing whatever I want and the ability to have and be and pursue whatever I want to do, then where churchianity goes is freedom is the grounds where my evil desires can have full reign. So what am I going to do about freedom? How am I going to respond to freedom? I'm going to restrain it. I'm going to clamp it down. See, within churchianity, within this view, the goal is the pursuit of purity, to constantly move towards sinning less. And the Bible is read as a list of things. There's things that you want to be sure you do. There's want to be there's things that you want to be sure you avoid. And if you can manage to do that, or the, to the degree that you manage to do or not do those things, you are moving towards holiness. This view recognizes that holiness is what God wants for us. It's what Christ died to make possible for us. But it also recognizes that we have free choice, that we still have a sinful nature that we must die to every day. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we know that we still struggle with sin. And that's frustrating, and it threatens the holiness that we're pursuing within churchianity. So here's the logic. If freedom means leaving my my desires unchecked, and those desires can be evil and my goal is to have as little sin as possible, then I've got to restrain and limit that freedom if I'm going to pursue this holy life that I'm called to. And it just says, you know, put in rules and do things to protect myself from these freedoms that are out there. So in this view, what tends to happen is we identify the line and this represents whatever sin we're trying to avoid. And then we build sort of safety fences around the line so that we feel protected and we can't possibly cross it, right? We're going to be safe here. So for example, if the holy thing is to remain pure until marriage, let's just pick that one because it's one that most people are familiar with, then the fence that we build might be only dating in groups or courtships. If you saw the the show 19 and Counting, those parents only allowed their kids to court in groups. Like there was no allowed one-on-one dating until they were practically engaged and then it was supervised. Um, so that's one way to go about trying to to keep you pure is you just can never be alone with somebody from the opposite sex. Where I went to college, it was no boys in the girls dorms, no girls in the boys dorms. That was just like a non-violatable thing. Or it might be don't dress like that or don't, you know, don't present yourself in certain ways so that you don't create some crazy temptation. I mean, it can be a million things, but it has to do with looking for rules to put in place things that I can do to avoid being infected or affected by the sin around me because I am pursuing holiness. And this is a place of confusion, right, in this view because we know that freedom is a good thing. But in churchianity, what happens is in the same breath that we extol freedom, we also recall, oh, but the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And in the name of self-control... And in a desire to have really good self-control, we put rules and barriers in place to help us in the areas we feel weak. Now, 
as I was writing this up, was Brandon and I were working on this episode. This is the story of most of my early years of being a follower of Jesus. Mm. Um, so when I say we, y'all, you can just hear I. I did all <laughs> of this. <laughs> and so I'm passionate about it, though, because I know it from the inside out, and I know how destructive it can become. So in this view, rule keeping is the name of the game. The one who keeps the rules best wins because they have the least amount of bad in their lives. Now, there are some positives. Like, I mean, yeah, this isn't absolutely. just like, how did they end up there? I mean, mm -hmm. this started from a very good place, mm -hmm. right? This view pursues holiness. Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. And it's like, great, that's the goal. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this right? This view takes seriously the commands and prohibitions of scripture and attempts to live accordingly. It's not like, well, that doesn't apply to me or, well, that was written a long time ago. It's like, no, if God says do this and God says, don't do that, I'm going to try mm. to do that. Mm -hmm. It recognizes the power of the free will that we possess and the depravity of man. Yes, God tells us what, what is best for us. He gives us a standard. He says, this is my best for you. This is what I want you to do. These are the things I think you should avoid. But even as saved, redeemed, spirit-indwelt children of God, given opportunity and circumstance, we know in churchianity we're still capable of even that thing we swear we would never, ever, ever do. So there's this, this tension of like, yes, we're free, and yes, we're saved, but we know our own depravity. Mm -hmm. And we're not sure that if we just don't build those walls that we're going to be able to remain safe. Mm -hmm. This view rightly recognizes that following our, our desires without limits does often result in corruption of character. We know, I mean, there's biblical examples of people who lived unrestrained lives. It did not go well for them. Right. Right. So we know, this view recognizes that by putting checks on our behavior and limiting our ability to fulfill certain desires, we do find ways of escaping the gravitational pull of our cultural demands towards hedonism. Everything in our culture is saying, do what feels good, do what you want. If it feels good, do it. Just pursue, you know, you do you, pursue your own happiness. So yeah. we're like, oh, then that's bad. Right. You know, so. And, and then culture doesn't then talk about the ramifications oh, of no. all those decisions. No, there's no consequences. Right, right. And so this then tries to say, well, hey, for everyone who has experienced the consequences of living a hedonistic mm -hmm. lifestyle, the isolation, the brokenness, the shame, guilt, all of that, like, hey, we've got a different way for you. Right, uh -huh. right. And it feels feels like, okay, all those things that we look at and we go, okay, those are dangerous and those can draw me away from God. I'm just going to build walls, mm -hmm. you know, to protect against it. And this view also correctly recognizes that structure and systems and rules can be really helpful in growing into the person that you intend to be. Now, I want to be really clear here because we're not talking about appropriate wise boundaries. Those are a good good thing. The difference in, is in how you see those boundaries. And we're going to talk about some of the challenges to this view, but within churchianity, it all comes from fear. And, and I'll get there. Whereas wise boundaries are out of recognizing our own weaknesses and, and a wise pursuit of saying, I want to follow God. Mm -hmm. And, and these boundaries are going to help me do that. So what would be an example of one of these wise boundaries that you're talking about? Sure. So one of our key ministries here is, is Celebrate Recovery. Mm -hmm. And so people that have struggled with, let's just say, alcohol and, and overusing alcohol, 
they put very wise boundaries in place. It may be for them that they don't sit at a table where it's being served. Mm -hmm. They don't have it in their home. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they make sure that they've kept separate from that because that's a place that they know that they struggle. Mm -hmm. And so you put that wise boundary in place to say, I want to honor God, but I know this is a place I struggle. So I'm going to put a boundary in place, but it's not a fear based boundary. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's a boundary that says, that recognizes where my weakness is. Sure. That's super helpful. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. I want to be clear because we want to affirm wise boundaries. Mm -hmm. We just don't want to live in this cage of our own making Ah, as followers of Jesus. Good. Um, So what are the challenges of churchianity? And I think, and I alluded to this a little bit, but this view is ultimately rooted in fear, fear of doing something or not doing something that will impact the pursuit of holiness. And the freedoms that other people seem to enjoy are perceived as dangers to avoid. So this freedom in Christ that the Bible talks about, we acknowledge it in this view, but then it's like it exists within very, very strict limits. And the real goal is just to kind of look like your life looks holy. Like somebody looking at the outside says, wow, they're really a good Christian. They don't do this. They don't do that. Or they do this. You know, they always go to church. They do this. They they don't party. You know, it's like, it's this picture. uh, One of our friends said, like the shining city on a hill. It's like, Mm -hmm. it just looks so good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's interesting that like when we think about these desires being pushed down sometimes in this churchianity view, we build a whole bunch of, of walls around it. What it can start to do is name these desires as inherently bad, yeah, not given by God. And so um, these, a lot of these desires are things that are intended by God to be good. They've right. just been disordered and messed up. But what we can sometimes do in this viewpoint is name those desires as bad. Right. Rather than saying, okay, what is the God-given goodness that is beneath this and sure. redeem that? It's a bit more of just like, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't want connection, you know, because right. it always shows up in this kind of unhealthy way or whatever. Well, and I think you can get to that place where you've Exactly what Paul talked about in Romans 7 and what you kind of brought out in Genesis 2, right? Whenever we have a list of things that we don't want to do, it excites the sinful desire to do exactly that. Um, You know, even Paul talked about the fact, he's like, I wouldn't have even known what coveting was. But as soon as you said don't covet, then it was like... (laughs) That is first on my list today. (laughs) He's like, I wasn't even thinking about that. But as soon as it was prohibited, it was desired. So when we're overly focused on what we should not do, it has the opposite effect and we begin to want it more. And we start trying to figure out, well, okay, if we're going to technically avoid it, how close can we get without going too far? And it's a dangerous game. And this w- way of living is inherently unstable. And it, it just, it presses down all of these desires to try to be good. But the problem is that they don't always stay down. And sometimes they eke out or they, you know, they overflow in ways that are, let's just say that they're more <laughs> pronounced than they might have been other words. For example, so I went to a parochial school, but we were known the girls from my school were known as the partiers because they kept it together all the time. Yep. Yep. And then they would just, 
Yes. <laughs> Blow off steam, you know. That's and what it, we'd experience in college. You know, you're always like, oh, okay, here are the kids from the super, super Christian school, and they're usually going to hit the bottle the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> but then the problem... The next problem that comes with this, right, if you've got these rules that you're supposed to be living according to, and now you're not because we can never live according to all the rules that we make for ourselves, it leads to authenticity, inauthenticity, excuse me, because when you know what you're supposed to be doing and you're not doing it, then you're going to hide and you're going to lie and there's shame and there's guilt and there's, you know, cover up and all kinds of things. And because suddenly you realize, okay, I have not lived up to these things that I've set and now I'm letting myself down. I'm letting down everybody else. The things that I was so proud to show that I could do, I couldn't or I didn't anymore. So it leads to inauthenticity. It also leads to really judgmental attitudes towards other people because the rules that I put in place for myself, if you've got, if you're experiencing freedom differently than I am, I might look at you and go, oh, well, see, I'm so much more holy than you because I don't do those things. You are experiencing freedom differently than I am. And it makes me very critical and pharisaical, really. Um, we see this. I was just reading through the Gospels for a class I'm taking. And I came to that place where the Pharisees are like, now, why don't your disciples wash the way ours do? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we follow all these really strict washing rules. And, I mean, you know it makes us clean and mm-hmm. holy. Your <laughs> disciples don't seem to understand <laughs> what's going on here. And it's like, okay, we're talking about Jesus' disciples. Mm-hmm. Like, they mm-hmm. probably, you know. <laughs> and yet there was this judgmentalism, this pharisaical attitude. It's also super outwardly focused, mm-hmm. right? This whole view is on what do I look like from the outside? How does my life look? I'm not really concerned with my heart. I'm not Mm. concerned with inward transformation. I'm concerned with what it looks like on the outside, what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. So finally, in this view and and the sort of repercussion of this view from the outside is that when we live sort of by this churchianity, do this, don't do this, and we're very vocal about what it is that we do and we don't do, what ends up happening is that the world, their impression of what Christianity is, is, well, it's just a bunch of things that you're just, you're against these things and you're for these things. That's all that we're Mm -hmm. known for. Mm -hmm. Like the church becomes like, oh, well, you guys don't do this and you guys don't do this and you guys don't do that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's so far from the message of Jesus. Such a two-dimensional reality, right? Of just like, you are the lack of things. Yeah. The lack of bad. It's a, it's essentially a viewpoint that says it's about being less bad. Right. Not more good. Right. Yeah. Right. And all of the abundance that Jesus promised us, like you don't see that in churchianity. You just don't. Mm-hmm. Because you're so concerned with not doing this, not doing this, or checking off all the good things you did do. Mm, right. Right? I, d- I did. I went to church. I served. I went to my small group. I did my quiet time. Mm-hmm. I did all the things. Mm-hmm. I did all these things. I didn't do any of those things. And, and therefore, I am holy. And therefore, I am holy. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the challenges with it. And I want to just go back to Scripture now and see what does the Bible tell us about this? And, and I want to go to Genesis right after the passage that Brandon read. Because, you know, in chapter two, God gives that one singular prohibition, right? Don't eat from that one tree. 
So when Satan comes and he tempts Eve and he asks her about what God said, this is her response. So this is Genesis chapter three, starting in verse two. It says that the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. Look at what's happening here. (laughs) This desire to identify the boundary and build walls to protect ourselves, like build it out just a little bit further, is a tale as old as time. That's exactly what Eve did. So, because that is not what God said. God said, don't eat it. Eve says, don't eat it. Don't even, don't eat it. And then don't even touch it. Ah, yes. So she said, okay, the line is here, but to be safe, I'm going to put it out here. That is not what God said. Right. Right. Now, to be fair, we cannot actually say what Eve was, what was going on in her head when she did that. But if the line was don't eat the fruit, Eve was like, I got this. I'm not even going to touch it. Then I can't possibly eat it. And what happens right there, of course, is you make a straw man argument at that point. And in the moment of desire, you go, well, this line isn't really logical, right? So I'm going to push past this line. And then you, because you have now walked over the line into what you are deeming as sinful territory, then it's easier to then just step into the entire world of sinful territory. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Now, I want to make the case here for a minute that it was never just about the piece of fruit that Eve ate, right? That was a boundary line that they weren't supposed to cross, no doubt. But sin doesn't start with the action. It starts in the heart. James writes about this in James chapter 115. It says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, then it brings forth death. So the problem for Eve didn't start when she ate the fruit. It started when she questioned God and decided to act out her own will. That's when the problem actually occurred. Eating the fruit was the sort of outward outward evidence of this inward decision that she had already made. It was a heart issue. Now, if we jump into the New Testament and look at Jesus's teaching, he pretty much blows this up in about three sentences. (laughs) So in Matthew 5, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. 521 and following, he says, you've heard it said that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And then in verse 27, Jesus says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is basically saying, you've heard it said, the line is here. And that's true. That is a line. You should not do that thing. But then he says, there is a line way over here (laughs) in places you didn't even think I cared about, in places you didn't think I was looking that's really in a lot of ways just as bad because what you do, what you say, what you think on the inside can be just as sinful as what you do on the outside. Now, the societal consequences are different, but it's still sin. And so Jesus is like, where's your line now? Mm-hmm. You know, where where are you going to, what are you going to do now? And really what he's saying is that I don't want you to just 
be concerned with what you do or don't do. That's not it. I, I don't want you to just do the right things. I want your heart. I want your desires. I want to redeem your thinking, your choices, all of you, not just the parts that other people see, but all of you. So Jesus is making the point that merely abstaining from doing a thing isn't the point. In Matthew 6 and 7, he's going to go on to talk about the importance of the heart before God, of what happens in secret, unseen places, and that those things are very important to God, almost more important than what's seen on the outside is what's happening in those unseen places. And this is why Jesus could say towards the end of Matthew 7 that there will be people who come to me and say, but Lord, didn't we do all the things? And he'll say, I never knew you. That is terrifying. But there's a, it is possible to do all the things and have our hearts be so far from God. Jesus even said that, right? He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Wow. Right? So what we do or don't do on the outside, it ultimately is a reflection of what's happening on the inside because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus wants our heart. So the conclusion of this churchianity, honestly, is that in trying to be free from sin by building all these walls and, and protections, you actually end up enslaved again. Mm-hmm. It's just a different prison. Yeah. It's just a different prison. Now, you may be extra influenced by this view if, number one, you find yourself frustrated or bothered by the freedom other Christians seem to enjoy or critical of them for enjoying it. You know, if you're looking at other believers and it's like, I can't believe that, you know, and and you're you're finding yourself critical and judgmental of them. Not, I mean, it's, I'm not talking about overt sin. I'm talking about something they have the freedom to do that maybe you're choosing not to do. But if you're critical of them, Mm -hmm. then there's a problem. Yeah. You take the example that you said of uh, an alcoholic who says, sure. you know, my wise boundary is I'm not going to be sitting at a table where alcohol is served because I know my own uh, challenges right. and my tendencies. Uh, once that becomes a look at that person sitting at a table where right. alcohol is served, that is unacceptable. And you're realizing, well, they weren't an alcoholic before, you know, and this not, is not this a is type not a of desire that them. they... You know, but that's exactly how that starts to work, right? Yep. What what can start as a wise boundary becomes a law, a rule that right. causes you to look down on others. That's yep. exactly, exactly right. Another indication that you might be over-influenced by this view is if you define your spiritual growth in terms of things you've done or that you haven't done. Mm. I am spiritual because, you know, I go to church every weekend and I am in a small group and I have my quiet time and I do, and I do not... You know, I don't get drunk and I don't party and I don't do these 17 things. So therefore, I'm growing in my relationship with God. And this is where this really hit me because I spent a lot of years doing and not doing, but my heart was still far from God. I knew God, but my heart was still far from him. And when crisis hit and my faith was tested, it didn't have the roots to go down deep because all I had was what I did and didn't do. Mm-hmm. And so that caused a crisis of faith that led to my testimony building years, which (laughs) is time for another podcast. And then the final way that you might be extra influenced by this is if you become very self-critical when you either do something you'd resolve not to do, or you don't do something that you'd resolve to always do. When you get into the shame and guilt cycle, then you know that 
you're not responding to the love of Jesus. You're responding to the, the consequences of having built all these rules for yourself that you could never keep in the first place. Mm, yeah. And so, yeah. All right. Churchianity. So <laughs> let's dive in. Let's, uh, let's be refreshed by yes. Jesus. So Jesus calling out in this crowded room, saying, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Uh, here's, imagine this crowded room that he's in. Let's just do a recap. Uh, mainstream culture says freedom is lack of limits. It is unlimited. It is un- uninhibited. What we should do with that is push back any limits and live as pleasurable and as pain-free as possible, right? So that's mainstream culture. Churchianity is on the other side yelling out, yeah, freedom is lack of limits, unlimited and uninhibited, and this freedom is dangerous. <laughs> so build walls and gates to restrain it to remain pure. If mainstream culture results in slavery to our desires, um, churchianity results in slavery to our pride. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, you are to be free indeed. So Jesus, what he does is he turns the concept of freedom on its head For Jesus, freedom is not the lack of limits. It is the ability to live as God designed us to live. That is super important. That for Jesus, freedom is our ability to live and to love as we are made to do Mm -hmm. so. So, uh, you know, you can use a a bunch of different language for Jesus' concept of freedom. It's to help us live as members of new creation. It's to experience all the fullness that God intended and designed us for. It is to live fully into the image of God that is stamped on us. Mm-hmm. So freedom in that way is uninhibited and unlimited in a way, but it is a life lived for others. This freedom paradoxically comes in our limitation. So <laughs> it's kind of strange, but in both of the other viewpoints, freedom uh, is breaking all of our limits, whether it's uh, putting limits on ourselves so that we aren't limited by sin or uh, just chasing after whatever we want. Jesus says, no, 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 the way to get there actually is through your limitation, and on the other mm-hmm. side of that is deep freedom. Mm-hmm. So let's look at a few attributes of Jesus' freedom here. Sure. Let's <laughs> let's start with the one that, again, kind of captures what you've just been talking about, is that freedom comes first through death to the self, and then true life on the other side of that, which, I mean, if you just sit with that for a minute, what are you talking about? Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So again, this is this upside down way of looking at this. Like when you, you know, in hedonism, you are pursuing your life. In in churchianity, you're trying to protect your life. And Jesus says, okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you're going to start by denying yourself. You're going to start by putting yourself last in the mm-hmm. equation, not first. Mm. You're going to, and I think that that, I think that when we start with that um, and then build from there, Jesus' freedom does look very, very different. Very different entry point and conclusion point, right? So like Philippians 2 kind of presses deeper into this. This is an old hymn 
mm-hmm. um, that that Paul quotes here, that there's this picture in Jesus' concept of freedom where humbling comes before glorification. Right. And that glorification is the greater opportunity for love. Um, Philippians 2 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So here's God, here's Jesus with every possibility, every option, all the freedoms at his fingertips. And what does he do? He doesn't use that as an opportunity for himself. Rather, he made himself nothing. Think about the incarnation here. Mm-hmm. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being fa- found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You have these layers of limitation mm-hmm. that Jesus is walking through. You start with this concept of the incarnation uh, be- becoming a human and all the limitations that come from that, then right. becoming a servant, then becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross, a... a really horrendous way mm-hmm. of dying mm-hmm. that is the destruction of all of your reputation. Oh, for sure. And then listen, verse nine, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. I love that. And as I was thinking about, even as you were reading that passage, there are so many things that you, you even started to say that Jesus had the freedom and the right and the access to um, those you listed. He was in heaven with God in perfection. Mm-hmm. He left the perfection of heaven. He did not have to. Mm-hmm. He, he chose to. He left the perfection of heaven. He clothed himself in human flesh. That was that had to be a radical. I mean, that right there is a humbling of sorts to be limited into human flesh. Then we know that while he walked around on earth, the Bible tells us that he was always, you know, fully God and fully man. He never ceased to, he never gave away his deity. However, he did not use his God, his deity, his abilities, his divine abilities. He leaned on the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he he allowed himself to be poor. If you think about Jesus, he's the king, right? <laughs> Rightfully so. And yet we know he was born in a stable or a manger. We know that his family was so poor that when they went to give the offering at the temple that you gave when a child was born, the allowance in the law was two doves or if you're poor, two pigeons. What did Mary and Joseph bring? Mm. Two pigeons. Mm. And then Jesus, in his own teaching, says, you know, birds have a place and and everybody else got a place, but the Son of Man has no place to even lie his own head. So Mm. he did not live a luxurious lifestyle, even he could have. He's the king. Mm. He Mm. made it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And then one of my favorites is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and they've come out to arrest him with swords and spears. And he's like, guys, don't... (laughs) It's almost humorous. He's like, guys, don't you realize I could literally call down 12,000 angels Mm. right now. Mm -hmm. I totally could do that. And yet he allowed himself to be arrested, to go through the humiliation of the trials. Like he allowed that to happen to himself. He, 
he could have stopped it at any time. Right. I mean, it's not like just in the garden, like any point along the way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so you have this beautiful picture then of what, what freedom is. This freedom is, in Jesus' view, somehow achieved through a limitation and then glorification glorification on the other side. You know, you think about the movement from Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday as the kind of image that we are meant to walk in if we are followers of Jesus. That if you have the brutality from Gethsemane moving into him crucified on the cross, all of the limitation, all the humbling, all of the servitude, all of the submission that came in that Mm -hmm. entire process to Pilate, to the Roman guards, to the uh, religious rulers to the Father, all of these moments of submission, and what comes on the other side is the resurrected Son, who is this picture now of a fully freed person, free to do anything. But the biggest picture is freed, most ultimately, for love. And uh, you know, this is, I think, the beauty of baptism. That when mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. kind of have this rite of passage into the body of Christ of, of baptism, this, this image, this symbol, is that we go down into the water and what we are doing is we are dying to the self mm-hmm. and then coming up fresh as new creation, this, this picture of freedom. But again, a very different freedom that is painted than is painted by culture sure, um, or even responded against by churchianity. Mm-hmm. This freedom is a freedom from self-slavery. Yep. So... Think about it this way. Um, when the people uh, of Israel were in Egypt, they were slaves. This is the story that has deeply influenced. Um, it's a theme that continually comes up through the story um, of, of God's people and us. This is what the Passover is all about, right. is the freedom from Egyptian slavery. And so when we talk about freedom, that's the place you have to go is the Exodus but what's interesting about this, the freedom that we see there is the freedom from Egypt wasn't just about being freed from Egyptian tyranny, although, of course, that was, that was part of thing. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because the beginning of Exodus is about that, is about getting Israel out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. But the second half, when God is giving instructions on how to live the life mm-hmm. uh, that he's designed us for, uh, when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses— if the first half was about getting Israel out of Egypt, the second half is about getting Egypt out of the hearts of Israel. Wow. The, the imperialistic, the power-oriented, mm-hmm. the I must be the one that decides everything that happens, that needed to be pulled out of the hearts of the people of Israel. That's the transformation that happens. So when we're talking about this freedom, the freedom that comes in following Christ, the freedom that comes on the other side of us denying ourselves is that we are finally free from this slavery to ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not simply about getting you out of bad. What Jesus wants to do is get the bad out of you. Right. This is what freedom is. Your heart, your desires start to change. And that's where fullness comes because now I'm not just about, uh, man, I, I can't do that. I can't do this. Like I get to live and carry out my desires it's just that my desires lead towards life. Yeah, God has repointed my desires, and so I get to live an uninhibited life, chasing what my desires are, because God is slowly making my desires good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Freedom in Jesus also 
is focused on others. This is so core. Yeah. Oh, this is yeah. Because the freedom from self turns into right freedom for, for love, for love, for the love of God, for the love of our neighbor. So, in mainstream culture, if you think back to what we talked about, other people were either tools to achieve our pleasure, or they were obstacles or threats to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. In churchianity, others were either used as tools to move towards our purity or they were threats and challenges to it that we had to avoid and, and, you know, build walls against. But with Jesus, others are the opportunity to practice and live out our freedom. Yeah. The others are the point of our freedom. Right. <laughs> Where in, in the other two points of view, the chess pieces on a chessboard, right. all towards myself winning the game. And the whole point of my freedom in the Jesus view, is for the sake of others. Yeah. You know, Bonhoeffer says the church is only the church when it exists for others. Yeah. Um, Galatians five thirteen has been such an essential verse for me, who grew up in kind of the churchianity space. Mm-hmm. Um, not that necessarily my church proclaimed that that I grew up in, but that was just something I placed around myself. Sure. And so I was walking with a Bible in my hand because I was told I should do that yep. between classes. And I came to Galatians 5.13 and I stopped. And it's like God was just transforming my thought about what it means to follow him. Um, Paul says, therefore, uh, we are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, but do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the self. Mm-hmm. Instead, through love serve one another. So we are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, but don't use it for yourself. What that freedom is for is for loving others. And so in the world's definition of freedom, right? If it's about choosing whatever I want, whenever I want it, Jesus will give that up every time and in every setting. Why? Because that is the only way that love is possible. Love means giving up this type of freedom. It is the only soil in which love can actually exist. Only where freedom is given up can love actually exist. Think about your relationships. Think about moments you have truly experienced love. Mm -hmm. God's love, other people's love. It's because those people who offered that love to you chose to limit themselves, Mm -hmm. to give up their own freedom. And then I bet you if you talk to them, they'll tell you that that's the freest they've ever experienced Mm -hmm. was when they were giving you love. Yeah. And throughout the rest of the epistles, it is almost always tied to serving God and serving others. Like every reference to our freedom. First uh, Peter 2.6, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. First Corinthians 9.19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Mm-hmm. And then probably one of the most powerful for me um, is First Corinthians 10, 23 to 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. <laughs> all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Yes. There it is. That's freedom right there, isn't right. it? Oh, there's, and there's such freedom in that. Oh, all right. Hopefully you feel washed by that goodness. Yes, all the goodness of Jesus. <laughs> oh, it's so refreshing. Okay, so being shaped by this understanding of freedom, how does this actually play out in our world? Well, first off, I want to name the political realities, right? What we, we what we kind of talked about at the very beginning of 
the freedom of speech issues, the body rights issues, Second Amendment, all this. Like, what what should we be doing here? Yeah. Should we, as followers of Jesus, even be fighting for civil freedom as Christians? Should we be chasing after more and stronger societal freedoms? Well, I would say absolutely yes, but it's important to ask these questions. Yeah, sure. So the first thing is that as you fight for political freedom, how do you do it? Very, very important. And what is your why? Why are you doing this? So if, if it's around freedom of speech, why? Why do you want that freedom? What is it for? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, like, let's let's think about, like, uh, freedom of choice. Uh, sorry, freedom of speech. Um, why? Why do you want the freedom of speech? Yeah. What, what is it that you're really chasing after? And, and this would be the thing, right? Be freedom fighters as citizens. We should be. This is one of the great moments, uh, one of the great marks of Christian history has been the times that we as followers of Jesus have fought for the freedom for others. But those that have made their marks on history have not done this for their own sakes. It was motivated by love for others. Think about William Wilberforce, for example, who was not a slave himself, but spent his entire life seeking to end the slave trade in, in England. I think about uh, John Wesley, who says, liberty is the right of every human creature. As soon as he breathes the vital air and no human law can deprive him of that right, which he derives from the law of nature. And Will, uh, and Wesley spent so much of his life, uh, it was a very busy life and a very structured life, seeking to love and serve others. I think about Martin Luther King Jr. In seeking to fight the... Uh, the terrible mark, the scourge of racism in our country, what he did is he limited himself. He spent his time in prison taking Mm -hmm. on the worst of racism so that there may be a more equal society, um, a more loving society on the other Mm -hmm. side of his efforts. It was not him fighting freedom for himself, but for his children and his children's children Mm -hmm. and so many more that have been benefited um, by the work that he did. So if we want to be freedom fighters, let's do it. Let's do it for others. And do it in a way that doesn't fall into the traps of the way the world fights for its freedoms. Right. Which technically almost always ends up in either angry words or angry actions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because now we just have this circular problem. You know, right. if you're going to if you're gonna fight for freedom, but do it in a way that mm-hmm. also honors Jesus. Yes, for sure. Now, you know, most of us are not going to end up being senators and legislators. <laughs> For most of us on the daily, our question is, what do we do with the freedoms we currently have? Right. As followers of Jesus, how do we think about the freedoms at our fingertips right now? How do we use them? Yeah. And so we've got some questions here that hopefully are challenging to you and beautiful for you. Because guess what? You are free indeed. The sun has set you free. Let's look at all these options for loving others. Look, you have the freedom of speech. Mm. What are you doing with that? You have the freedom to watch and read and study whatever you want. What are you doing with that? Like, are you filling yourself with things that will help you love others? Mm -hmm. Or are you falling into, well, my my goal is just to be entertained before I go to sleep Mm -hmm. with my time. Like, sure. How is it that what you're intaking, since we're free to watch whatever we want, like, 
how is it that what you're watching is helping you love others? Like, what yeah. if we thought about freedom that way? Sure, sure. You have the freedom to do with your time what you want. Yeah. You know, Pastor Rick has talked about you can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. Mm. You know, I yep. mean, what are you going to do? You have the freedom to assemble with others to worship. You know, we went through time when we literally couldn't, but now mm. we can. Yeah. Are we exercising and taking advantage of the opportunity to be together? Oh. We are free to do that. Yeah, and a lot of people in our world are not. And to stand shoulder to shoulder with hundreds of others, followers of Jesus or mm. whatever your context is, um, maybe dozens of other believers, but yeah. you can stand there and sing your heart out to the good God who loves us and has mm. called us to that freedom. Like what an immense freedom we have to be able to express our love for him. Let's do it. You know, yeah. or just stand, stand there, you know, with our hands in our pockets, like, yeah. okay, that's it. Like, <laughs> let's use that freedom. Sure. We have the freedom to wear whatever clothing we want. You know, we can, you know, some people put logos on their shirts that advertise all kinds. You know, what are you doing? Every choice you make, you're free to make it. But what are you aiming at? What are you communicating? What are you doing with it? Are you loving others through every choice you make? Yeah. Like, you know, freedom to vote. Like, are you taking the time to study and think through the the different candidates and sure. asking, okay, what's going to create the most loving environment to do this? You know, sometimes we, uh, oftentimes we spend far more time on social media talking about this and that than we do on actually studying who we want to vote for. Right. Uh, in a variety <laughs> of different situations. We just did a primary election and I'm in pretty California. sure like yeah. very few people voted. <laughs> we took hours, my wife and I, on studying through the different people and thinking, okay. It takes time. How do we use effort. this freedom well? Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, you have the freedom to post and share and proclaim and create whatever you want. How good is that? What are you doing with it? Think about just a year ago during COVID. You, again, now have the freedom to invite people into your home. You know, for us, we, we weren't mm -hmm. because we had a young baby. We want to be a little bit careful. Uh, we were around some older people that we didn't want to make sure we brought that to them. Now we can invite people into our yeah. home and what a gift that's been for my wife and I to like, oh, we can have people sitting on the couch again and we can yes. love people and we can serve them and have these conversations. What a great, great, beautiful thing. The essential question in all of this, when we think about all of these freedoms we have before us, are you using these as an opportunity for the self or as a way to love others? Mm-hmm. And even more, are you willing to give up some of these worldly freedoms for the great freedom of others? Like most of our great writers throughout Christian history, Paul in chains or all the Christian martyrs, this is where their greatest freedom existed mm -hmm, and limiting mm -hmm. their freedoms for the sake of loving others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's look at living the life of Jesus. Let's, let's, let's aim for there. that. Yeah. yeah. So what should we keep in mind? Yeah. Okay. So after all of this, um, Ask yourself, where do you feel enslaved to yourself? Going kind mm -hmm. of the mainstream culture thing. We want to walk in the ways of Jesus. Where do you feel enslaved to yourself? What would it look like to be free from the demands you've placed on yourself in a kind of a hedonistic setting? For example, imagine facing your birthday or showing up to a party or some holiday where the goal was not the slavery of just like, I must have a good time. <laughs> what if you showed up to the next party you're coming to and it's not about you, but you realize, man, I am free to love others. So my goal in this party or whatever is to just spread God's love to whoever I interact with, just to bring joy to them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have a really good time yeah. at the end of that. Yeah. Um, 
And it's going to be a far greater freedom than if you walk in going, I, I have to have a good time. I have to good. I hope this is the food is good enough. I hope it's a good enough experience. You're going to miss it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another one might be, you know, with thinking about sort of some of the challenges with churchianity, the next time that you kind of run up against something that you feel like is a weakness or threatening to, to your walk with the Lord, instead of building walls and instead of, okay, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. Bring that to Jesus and get underneath. You know, it's not just maybe this thing, but what desire, what is, what's happening in my heart and, and get below it. And so instead of putting yourself in a greater prison of sorts, run to him and, and see, and just give that to him and say, God, I don't know what's happening here. You know, search me, oh God, know my heart, help me to see what's in there. (laughs) And if there's any wicked way in me, help me remove that from me help yeah. me that's so free where it's not yeah. just okay well i gotta do these 17 other things right. to fight this desire it's like god here's what it, here's what is coming up in me right now yeah what do i do yeah yeah and then another thing is that the next time you feel limited you know i mean it happens to us all the time we run up against something we run we're not up against free to do right and it just it, it feels frustrating and there's that instant sort of uh, you know but Ask yourself, are you frustrated because you don't get to do what you want? You're not in charge. Or is it because it's limiting you from loving others? So kind of it's a check again of your heart motivation. Like, why am I upset? If it's simply because this is what I want to do and gosh darn it, I'm going to do it and they're standing in my way. If that's what's frustrating you, you need to go back and go, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) It's not about me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that leads into kind of the last one here. Um, what is one obstacle that is limiting your capacity to love? Mm. If freedom in Christ means the opportunity to love others better, where is that hindered right now? Mm. What is it that's keeping you from loving your spouse, your kids, your neighbor better? That's where you want to focus. That Mm. is a limit you want to push against. So press there, pray there. And see what freedom God brings you through the resurrected power of Jesus. And this will teach you about the real freedom he has for us all. And I think with that, that is a perfect place to just be done. Gosh, Brandon, this has been so much fun. It has. Friends, I hope that you have heard some things that maybe were new thoughts for you, maybe that challenged you, please rate and review. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. You can leave them at maturity at saddleback.com.